We're recording? Yeah, we're, we're recording right now. All right. We are very pleased to have on today draft guru, Will Scouching. Um, honestly, a big, huge interview for all of us. We've been following him ever since, I don't know, 2016 to, to see the progression where his whole page and his, uh, his brand has come from and to has been really cool to see. And it's awesome to have him on here. Uh, we're going to pretty much, the goal of this interview is going to be to get you up to speed with the NHL draft, get you a little bit familiar. And uh, I mean, we couldn't have thought of it, a better guy to have on than, than Will here. How you how you doing today? Oh, I'm feeling guru-rific. Thank you very much for having <laughs> me on. Love it. You prefer guru or or ninja? I, those, I was trying to debate between the two. I came up with guru. Yeah, I don't I don't have the aggressive streak in me that maybe a ninja has. I don't definitely don't have the grace that they have either. Uh, guru tends to be the kind of person who's sort of sitting off in the corner and just the source of wisdom, right, or something. I guess. I suppose. I mean, pretty broad definition. Also, more the, so than a ninja, I think. The guru also kind of fits with like the style of your YouTube videos. I think. I think that, that a little kinda, bit. I guess. Yeah. yeah. All right, so sitting at a table, yeah. Exactly. So let's start just more general with the draft. I mean, can you just talk about maybe the difficulty this year because of COVID and scouting stuff? Like even down to the, you know, no OHL season, there's a big lack of public information about this draft. So, you know, like do you think that affects teams or do you think that more affects like just the fan perception of the draft? Uh I think it affects teams differently based on the team. I mean, I know some teams had a pretty easy time with the transition sort of to this situation, and some teams absolutely did not. Um, I think that the big thing is that for me personally, this was pretty much business as usual. Um, the weird, it was more interesting than weird for me, where all the kids from North America that went over to Europe you really got a sort of one-time shot at seeing a fish-out-of-water scenario sort of play out. And to me, that was really, really fascinating. And we get a lot of Europeans coming to North America, and you kind of see how their games translate. But it is interesting to see young North American kids go to play pro hockey in Europe when, and I think learn important lessons in those situations. But in terms of actually doing the work, for me, it was pretty much the same as usual. Um... You know, I, I but I know for a fact that different teams will have very different experiences and will have very different opinions on how useful they think this year will be. Do you think that like certain teams are going to be relying heavier on their European scouts as opposed to GM opinions on this draft? Uh this, yeah, I think I think it's by nature going to happen that way. But at the same time, I also still think that we're still going to see some teams that lean back on North American players who, you know, I, I, I'd i be very curious to see the names that go off the board that didn't play this year anywhere and where the names that may be guys that I like from Europe, where they go relative to those guys in North America who didn't play. I get the feeling that some teams are going to say, Oh, Wyatt Johnston was a, was a pretty good player for the Windsor Spitfires last year. He had a solid under 18. He looked pretty good in the PBHH tournament. Let's just take him in the second round because who knows what else is going to happen or who's going to be available later. And I'm probably not of that belief, but I can see how certain teams would come to that, that conclusion, even though he hasn't played this year. And there's lots of Europeans, for example, that have. But again, I think that's going to be something that depends on the team. So I, I think some teams are sort of in my boat where they're much more comfortable with their read of guys, whether they're European or whatever. Um, but some teams I'm sure are just going to go, yeah, but we didn't see these guys play live very often. So therefore, you know, maybe we're a little bit more skittish about it, but yeah, it depends. I think very much. Um, I, I was just wondering um, just uh, with, with COVID and everything, it's kind of opened up a lot of doors outside of the OHL for a lot of prospects. And I was just wondering if you think like, that's going to have like a slow ripple effect on maybe pro like, like decisions being made going forward for uh, players. Like if they, if players are going to start to consider now to look outside of <clears throat> outside of uh, the CHL to uh, especially like Canadian players to look outside of the CHL, maybe consider going to Europe or consider going to uh, the States. What do you think about that? 
Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's been a long time coming that more and more people need to pay more attention to European hockey. I think, I think, you know, I'm of the belief that there are probably quite a few European players that had they been drafted and developed and, and examined properly by an NHL team, they could probably be NHL players. Um, and I think that there's a lot of NHL draft picks that are North American. You know, like I, I talk to a lot of scouts at, from time to time who all seem to say I would, and they're sort of my age and, and they kind of all sit back and go, I'd much rather draft a top six guy playing for a Swedish junior team than, you know, a second or third line OHL guy who can't score uh, and hope that at some point lots of things turn out. But that's not, I don't think that's an opinion that's widely absorbed by 30 to all 32 team scouting groups. Um, but in my opinion, I mean, if it's me and I'm drafting, I mean, I'm looking at, you know, I'm looking at drafting really, really high end guys at every pick and, and just drafting good players and hoping they get better. But it seems every year that the good players that fall are often European. So you, if it were me running a team, I think by nature, the guys I draft, especially towards the end of the draft would lean European. Um, but I think, I think it's something that could change over time. The more and more Europeans come to the NHL and, and sort of shoot the lights out that aren't drafted first, second, third overall. Um, I think this year there's European players that are flying under the radar as well. So, uh, and I don't think that's going to, sort of change overnight but it does seem to be better than it was at least from what i remember when i was you know 18 19 years old wow so you to be correct me if i'm wrong you don't criticize the leafs for not drafting a player over 6-1 last year <laughs> i do not <laughs> no that's what i thought as well no i don't all right so i want to transition into the actual players in this draft um I want to start. It's it's easy to start with like start with the Michigan Wolverines. Obviously, they have three very highly regarded prospects in this draft. I want to start with Owen Power. Obviously, he's the much rumored first overall pick to the Buffalo Sabers, and I think a lot of talk when you hear about a six six guy that can skate is you know he's going to be safe for the Sabers. He's going to play. He's got uh, like his downside. You know, his floor is not too low. But when I watch him, I don't really see that. And I know you share that same opinion. So can you explain why, even though we got this 6'6", big defenseman who had good production, can skate, why he's not necessarily as safe as the public perception would make it seem? Uh, yeah, I mean, the big thing with me and, and Owen Power is that there is just a big mismatch between what's being said about him and what he's been doing. And... He's a really interesting case study where, you know, the only, based on what I've seen of him, the only thing that someone could say to me where it's like, yeah, but he should still go first overall is he could develop into a, a monster, like an absolute two-way monster. And I'm sitting there going, okay, if you want to take a guy where you're pinning your hopes on development at first overall, uh, especially this year, I... I disagree. I just disagree. I don't, I don't want to take that risk and doubly. So if I'm the, uh, Buffalo Sabres, I mean, I look at Owen power and I see, I also see what people think he's going to be in the NHL. And I'm going, I don't see that at all. People are thinking he's going to be a defensive player. He's going to sit back. He might not score a ton of points. Literally the things that he did the best in the data that I have is offensive. When he has the puck on his stick, when he's moving up the ice, when he's creating in the offensive zone, those are all things that he does very, very well. It's just, he doesn't get the chance to do it very often because the rest of his game needs a lot of work. I think, you know, he's a six foot six guy. Yes. When he's skating in a straight line with a puck on his stick. Yes. He's very, very difficult to slow down and stop. His offensive zone vision is very difficult to, to predict and he can be really crafty, but there's way more to the game than that, especially for a defenseman. And what I see is a six foot six guy where if he were four inches shorter, I bet scouts would be looking at his defensive game and going, this can't project to the NHL. Um, there, there, I mean, I could go through the issues that I've seen with his game, especially defensively. But to me, my view of Owen Power is, well, I don't know why you'd want him to be a defensive player. My thing would be raise the floor of his defense to be, you know, competent. He needs another year in college, I think, to get to that point. Um, but then, you know, you, you encourage him to say, all right, like, look, if you shore up your defensive game a little bit, you'll get the puck more often and you'll be able to play offensively more often. And that's when you're at your best. Um, rather than saying this guy's just going to be a two way minutes eater. And it's like, 
you could turn him into that, but boy, I think you're undershooting his potential. And if you're thinking he's going to just be planted right in the NHL, yeah, I, I mean, I'd be, sh- I'd be very surprised to see that happen in the first place. But if it does, I'll be very, very curious to see what his results look like because. I've seen more than enough to convince me that that is a risk I would not want to take, especially at first overall. Oh, yeah. I mean, as you just described there, piggybacking off of that, could you imagine him going to the Buffalo Sabres next year and having to work within that system and being, you know, the hope of the Buffalo Sabres and then to have him get caved in every night defensively? I mean, that's a that's a fantastic point there. Um, do you do you take any stock into what he did in the World Championships, or is it just it's another tournament, another seven game sample size? That that's another one where people are saying, "Oh, look at how good he was. He was this. He was that. He was playing top pair minutes by the end of the tournament." And I mean, sure, like that's obviously important. Um, I mean, I watched a couple of games of him at that tournament. He was paired with Troy Stetcher, who I think is extremely underrated. I really, really like Troy Stetcher a lot as a player, and he looked really, really good in that tournament. Um, I mean, the World Championship, the teams they were playing against, like, I saw him play a game against, like, Kazakhstan. There was a couple of games against Finland that I tracked. He looked fine. He looked perfectly fine. I I don't think he was otherworldly. I don't think he was making a statement of, like, I am a first overall pick and here's why. He looked fine. He looked like he was not, you know, he was treading water. He was he was making simple plays, simple, effective little plays. Not perfect, but you can't expect perfection out of that guy, uh, or anyone for that matter, especially if they're 18 years old. I mean, I thought he was fine, and that's a good thing. I mean, look, I still have him ranked in the top 10. I still think that he is one of the best defensemen in this year's draft. I think that at the end of the day, he could be one of the best player, if not the best player to come out of the draft. It's just, it really freaks me out when I see the mismatch between how much I'm hearing about him that is just gushing. And even when it isn't gushing, it's very sort of either, it's either gushing or very milk toast. but he's still at number one. And then I watch him play and I'm going, no, this guy is to me way more of a, you know, high ceiling, low floor type player. And I just don't hear that kind of talk very much. And so it's, it makes me question my own work. Um, but I don't know. I've seen more than enough evidence to make me a little bit on, on my own side here. And that is a great point. Just to finish off that part. That is a great point to say at the end there, he still is a top 10 player. He still has tremendous potential, but like not quite a number one pick because when you're taking those number one picks, you're, you know, it turns into the Rick Nash effect, as we call it, where a player becomes overrated and then they become hated on so much that they somehow then become underrated because people call them overrated kind of thing. I don't know if that makes sense, but we call it the Rick Nash conundrum. Oh, I'm with you. Yeah, I, I gotcha. Yeah, I gotcha. And I could see that happening with an Owen Power. I mean, like... <sighs> A lot of people in my comments on the YouTube video that I put out on him were saying, oh, I'm a Buffalo fan, and this reminds me of what people were saying about Rasmus Ristolainen. And I do see the same thing. I see, think of all of the big, gigantic defensemen in the NHL who were drafted really high, maybe not first overall, but really, really high, and shoveled directly into the NHL. They were treading water for a little bit, but then just completely undershoot their potential because they were just shoveled into the NHL too much. Cody Ceci is one. Rasmus Ristolainen was another one. Uh, I'm trying to think. Tyler Myers was another one. Um, it's all it's all Luke Shen. just a pattern, I think. And I, I, yeah, Luke Shen is another one. That's another good example. And you guys know Zach Bogosian is another one. Um, just a bunch of guys. Just a bunch of guys who were big and a bit rangier than usual for big players, and they just get dragged into the NHL because they think they can work. And I. I mean, Owen Power himself has said, I plan on going back to school, but I it, just on the surface, he's a six foot six defender who's pretty good in a straight line. And, you know, you've got a Buffalo Sabres team who is in desperate need of hope. And he was just at the world championships and didn't didn't drown. And I think that that's very, very tempting. But I don't know. I still again, I'll just keep resting on the fact that there's so much I've seen of him where I'm going that guy isn't NHL ready. He didn't even at times look comfortable defensively in the NCAA. So I don't know how putting him in the NHL right away is going to fix those problems, but that's, that might just be me. 
So transitioning to our next Michigan player, I think the conversation around this player is almost the opposite of Owen Power. When you talk about Matthew Beniers, he does seem safe to me, and I don't use that as a as a bad way. A lot of times we talk about you know the home run pick, but just because he's safe doesn't mean he can't be a home run pick. So can you talk about your 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 high ranking of Matthew Beniers and you know why he deserves that ranking from you? Where do I start? I mean, he's number one on my list, and he's been there since I don't know, late November maybe December, um, and. The only person that I think could challenge him, maybe Jesper Volstead, but to me, William Eklund is the only other guy where I'm sitting there going, yep, I would take this guy with a top pick in the draft. If, if, if it was a vote or something, I would not have a problem if I got countered with William Eklund. Um, but Matthew Beniers, it's you're right, it's the opposite is happening. I think people, again, are <laughs> misinterpreting or, or misappropriating what his potential could be. Um, this is a guy who scored points constantly year over year uh, ever since. I mean, I started watching him when he was playing with Jack Hughes, uh, or at least on Jack Hughes' NTDP team, and he looked not out of place as a double underager on that team. Um, in fact, he was one of the more exciting pl- offensive players at that time. I think he's in a very interesting spot where, on one hand, I could see him being sort of a two-way physical but still skilled 200 foot center that you trust in pretty much every scenario but i could also see him maybe leaning more into the offensive skill that he's got and trying to push his game more in the offensive direction either way i still think you're going to end up with a tremendous hockey player i mean maybe not that alexi lafreniere level prospect at first overall that you know everybody wants but i do think there's a lot to like with veneers and the things that he needs to work on to me are working out in the gym over the next few years to build up some strength because he plays a strong man's game and he's still a little bit slight, but also he needs to sort of rein things in a little bit. He kind of moves his feet too fast for his body sometimes, and he just can barely lose control of the puck or just barely cling to control of the puck. And it's just a little bit unsettling, but I feel like skills training and that strength in the gym is going to help offset that 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 negative not that negative side of things but even through all of that i mean he was one of the most effective playmakers that i tracked this year um his shot selection was kind of poor but it was also poor across the board for michigan um and i think that he's got the skill and and tenacity to attack the middle more often than he did um but he is more of a perimeter player right now but i don't think that's really that much of a problem when you look at who you could pair him with um and i mean (laughs) It's he he's a ton of fun to watch. He's he's a hard worker. He's a 200 foot guy. He he's he's great in open ice. He's a natural center. Uh, you know he's he's a great playmaker in the offensive zone. I think, and I I just think that if you if you want someone at first overall that you can not only bet to be a good NHL player but make a gamble that he could be a really really useful really good second line center that. With three minutes left in Game Seven of a playoff game, you toss him over the boards, and you you know you're going to get something out of him. And I think that those types of players are really, really valuable. And he is one of very few that you can pinpoint as one of those to me that you can pinpoint as one of those right now. Damn, I love the descriptiveness on that one. Is he? Does it make too much I'm, sense for Seattle to take him just as a first pick for a new yeah. club? Like, does that just make too much sense, oh, or? Yeah, it does. I mean, I get the feeling that if it's power at one and I'm Seattle, if I'm working there, I'm just screaming for Beniers. And if it isn't Beniers, then I'm going, all right, fine, Eklund. But anyone else and we're not, I'm, I quit. Like, Beniers is just a rock solid, he's a rock solid piece to build around. And there's no, I don't think there's any getting around that. He's, he's you put him with some skilled wingers who can finish a little bit better than he can. You're, the offensive potential, I think, that people seem to think is not there is going to come out more often. I'm, I'm almost positive. Yeah. sounds like, do you think you see him in the pro ranks next year? I don't know about that. I mean, we'll see. I'd be comfortable with him trying it, but the problem is that that would involve him leaving college. And I don't know. It's, it's hard because the NCAA is so skittish about this kind of thing. Um, I would err on the side of caution. I mean, we just saw Alexi Lafreniere struggle for his first season in the NHL. He he had an okay year when he just came out of scoring like 150 points in the QMJHL and was the world junior MVP and all that stuff. 
Whereas with Baneers, I mean, he doesn't have that kind of a resume or pedigree. I thought he looked really good at the World Juniors. Uh, I thought he looked pretty solid at the World Championship, but not super effective. Um, and I don't think that's good enough to just say, well, he's ready for the NHL. Uh, but it would be really tough because I would want to see him in an NHL setting. I think it's possible, but it's a risk. Very true. So, like, could we see the the three the big three from Michigan run it back next year? You think? But I if it's if I was king of the world, I think it would be that way. Um, I definitely would want to see Power and Johnson back there. Um, Beniers, I think it wouldn't hurt him. Um, I don't think it would hurt at all. And I think winning a national championship or at least gunning for one is not the end of the world. Um, especially if it means the alternative is toiling with the Buffalo Sabres without Jack Eichel or Sam Reinhardt or whoever else they're going to trade. So I don't know. I, I guess it would be the right decision to just send them all back of, of, of the decisions that, you know, if, if you had to pick one, I think I'd send them all back and just go dominate the NCAA. So transitioning to the final piece of that Michigan prospect group. So Kent Johnson is, he seems like he's just, missing that ability to put all of those skills and that skill set together to, you know, elevate his game to the next level. What kind of things do you think he needs to do to, because we know he has insanely high skill level. He's probably the most fun player to watch in this draft. You wrote down fun. That was, he my is fun. First he's fun. Well. He's, he was on the sports center top 10. I, I, in the States. I mean, that doesn't happen that often for hockey, especially college hockey. So what does he need to do to kind of put it all together with his, his tool set? Yeah, you kind of said it there. Like, he needs to find a balance. He needs to find his, like, sort of sweet spot, as as Jack Hahn would put it. Like, he needs to find a, an area where he balances the skill and creativity that he has with actually just going out and playing the game. Like, in the Scouting Discord server, we coined the term PTFG just based on him, which just stands for play the frickin' game. And he, you know, he needs to be a guy who goes out... He needs to be a guy who goes out there and plays the frickin' game a little bit more than he does. I mean, I I tracked a lot of data on this guy. I saw him play a ton this year. It's it's unequivocally true that he had trouble producing at 5-on-5. Five five. He scored a lot of points on the power play, and you have to explore why that is. And there are lots of players in the past who have been drafted really high that have struggles scoring at 5-on-5 five five or at even strength, and they're drafted really high because of their pure skill level or whatever, like Casey Middlestat comes to mind uh, as an example of that. And yeah, and you see, and you see the, the downsides of that. And with Ken Johnson, I mean, I see it. I see the, the potential to do that when, as the year went on, he seemed to cut down on it a little bit. And I mean, I still have him ranked at six. I think he's going to be a really, really good skilled offensive forward for any NHL team. Um, kind of a plug-and-play guy that can make a play, but he also has a pretty nice shot. Um, but the creativity and, and everything is just so off the walls. It's just he pulls that area of the game out when you don't really need it to and when you would rather him just make a simple outlet pass or a simple entry pass rather than you know go on his edges, skate backwards into the offensive zone looking for a play and you know just end up pushed up against the wall and causing a turnover which i found to be something that happened a lot so it's fixable like it's manageable but he's going to need to figure out how to balance those things and especially at the nhl level like he might be able to do it in the ncaa next year and be a much better even strength player but the nhl is a whole other ball game and we'll see how it works but i'm still optimistic about him for sure Nice. So I think it would we'd be remiss to not touch on uh, William Eklund after what you talk, said about him earlier. So, you know, you look at some of the TSN rankings with Button and McKenzie. I know those are more of like predictive rankings where they try to mimic the draft, but I don't think he's in either of their top fives right now, which is surprising to me. Do you think he could be another player that falls into the you know, maybe like the Cole Caulfield overthought because of the size kind of situation? Or why isn't he getting more love? Because you watch him play, especially in a pro league this year. I don't know how you come away not extremely impressed with what he's done on the ice. So what is, what's going yeah, on there? I think that, I think there's a bunch of factors. One is I think, yeah, he's a bit small, but not super small. He's like five, nine and five ten. That's not it, for a scoring winger. Like that's, that's nothing. Um, it, when I look at him, I think, you know, his first half was much better than his second half, but then you also think, okay, well, he had a center in the first half in Jakob Josefsson, who is one of the best SHL players, and he was injured. 
Um, and then there was COVID that ravaged through the team. He was supposed to go to the world championships and then he got injured. Um, so I think in that time and with all those things happening, um, there's been like shiny toy syndrome. Other guys have played and other guys have played in front of eyeballs. Guys like Dylan Gunther, guys like Mason McTavish, especially, um, they, they, Brant Clark, They've all just played in front of human beings, and they've all played in front of human beings that are North American, and I think that just by default puts him uh, puts them ahead of William Eklund in 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 just their eyes, right? Like I think it's just a bias that's that's kind of overwhelmingly clear because to me, I think William Eklund is it's impossible for me not to think he's a top five pick. I've thought about it literally all season long. Uh, he he pretty much the first time I saw him play this year, I was thinking just how I, I thought that this was a guy who is extremely projectable to the NHL and has tons of skill and tons of speed and just a tenacity with the puck and puck control that, that I even think a Matthew Beneers doesn't have. And he can shoot, he can pass, you know, his defensive game, I think is fine. It's not great, but you can live with it considering what he can do offensively. I just, I don't know. I get the feeling that the biggest factor is that he's been, had a bit of an up and down season for no fault of his own but other guys have you know shown up in tournaments and shown up at situations where he just couldn't be there uh and that kind of gives them an advantage i really like that term shiny toy syndrome i mean i think we all get that especially bit. uh especially <laughs> being leafs fans i mean you get it every single day when so we had another question about risers and fallers in this draft would would Mason McTavish be like the perfect example of a shiny new toy in this draft? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think teams are looking for certainty right now and you can tell what he's going to be in the NHL. Like it's pretty clear. He's going to be a player. I think he'll be a good, a really good third line guy or a, a perfectly just really good second line guy who can swap in and out from playing center. If he needs to, he can shoot, he's physical. Um, but I don't know. Like I've seen him ranked as high as two on some boards. And to me, I just, I get the feel, I get the feeling that he's going to be a guy where you draft him. And then you look at what a guy like William Eklund or, uh, you know, who take your pick, you're going to look at the careers those guys have and how productive they could be. I mean, Mason McTavish is going to be a relatively productive player, I think, but I just, I just have a weird feeling watching him play that I'm going, all right, I kind of know what he's going to be. There's skill and there's, a shot and he's physical, but I don't know. Like I have him at 11 on my board and I think that I take him as high as seven or eight, but I don't know. Like if he's a top five guy, I thought he was good, but not great at the world under 18s. I thought, you know, but again, it was that whole thing of like, he showed you what he is, right? A physical 200 foot guy, you know, really good at reading passing lanes away from the puck. Pretty, pretty nifty with the puck on his stick with a great shot. And I think that's perfectly fine. Um, but I just think there's other guys that might have a bit of risk that I would rather take a gamble on rather than go for safety with McTavish. I'm cool with the safety of Beniers, but less cool with the safety of McTavish. Does it almost remind you of like a, maybe this is too simple, but like a Barrett Hayton situation where he goes top five that year over guys like Zadina and Quinn Hughes kind of not out of nowhere. Cause we heard the rise, but it kind of, it's kind of similar to this McTavish rise where it's happening late in the process. And then you blink and he's a top five pick. And that happens every year, right? Like you said, it, it's there's guys that come out of the woodwork right near the draft that all of a sudden are at the top of the board. It, it, it's probably going to be the case with him. I mean, if he goes as high as three this year, I'd go, okay, like, cool. That's if, cool. That's great. But it's, you know, and it's tough because it may not be the guy that, that I would take at three, but that to some people sounds like I don't like him. I think he's a good, I think he's a really good hockey player. Like, I think he's going to be a really useful NHL player, but it's just, you're, you're leaving a lot on the board. If it's, if that's your guy, I think, or at least potentially leaving a lot on the board. Makes sense. I mean, you, uh, Josh, you remember we were at the 2016 draft when Pierre-Luc Dubois got drafted over Jesse Pugliarvi and uh, you could hear a pin drop in that place. It was uh pretty crazy, but I feel like that would be something similar to what you're saying with, with Mason McTavish there. But Jason, do you have a no? So uh, another guy I wanted to touch on quickly. This is another player whose ranking seems to be very, you know, there's a high variance in it, and that's Logan Stankovin. 
especially considering that you know he's a Canadian, he's playing in the WHL. So it seems like guys. I know they had he had a very small sample size this year, but he also had a good U eighteen tournament in terms of production. I'm wondering why this guy isn't getting pushed up the board more in a draft where we talked about, you know, maybe looking for a little more certainty. And when you look at what teams typically like, you know, he's plays in a Canadian junior league. He had good international production. He had good WHL production given fewer games, but still doesn't seem to be as high on boards as I would expect. Is that, is this a size thing? Is this where we're saying this is the size faller in this draft or what do you think's going on with him? Well, you tell, you tell me how tall, do you, how tall is he? I think he's listed, listed at 5'8". Five five eight. Eight. Yeah, 5'8", yeah, there Yeah, that's so exactly what's happening. Okay. Okay. It, his, he's got an 8 after a 5, and that scares teams away. <laughs> that's it. Um, okay. I thought it was, if it was something other than that. I assume that's what it was. but I don't know. I don't know what else it is because there's nothing about him that I don't like. I I absolutely love watching him play. He's one of my – he, he's my favorite player that I've seen play this year. Like, if I just watch him play hockey, and it's one of the few guys this year where – pretty much every time they step on the ice, I'm going, okay, like, that's a good thing he did. That's another good thing he did. That's another good thing he did. That's another good thing he did. Okay, he's blowing up the ice at 100 million miles an hour. Okay, he's got a hell of a shot. There's another thing he can do. Oh, he's behind the goal line battling for a puck and putting it out in front. Okay, that's another thing he can do. Um, I... Like, I think I'm a little bit concerned with regards to how he manages pressure with NHL level defending. But I mean, if he gets better with his skill level, which it's already really good, and he gets even quicker on his feet, you know, if he stays that sort of agile water bug around the ice and can, you know, really navigate pressure through just speed and evasion, and also just know when to make a play in the offensive zone, you know, not hold on to the puck for too long, um, you know, I get real. You know, maybe not the goal-scoring vibe of Cole Caulfield, but the same kind of vibe about him when he's on the ice, where people might look at him and go, oh, he's just a small guy who can score goals, so that's all he does. But when you watch Cole Caulfield play hockey, you go, there's a lot more to his game than just scoring goals. You know, he can skate, he's got skill, he can pass the puck. And I think with, with Stankoven, there's the same exact thing. And if people, you know, I, he's he's 31st in North America on NHL Central Scouting, which implies he might be a mid-second round pick, according to Central Scouting, which to me, it's, bana- it's bananas. I just don't know how you square that circle. I don't know how you come to that conclusion outside of just, he's too small. And I'm not going to be the person who tells a teenager, oh, sorry, but you're just physically too small. But if you were two inches taller, you would be fine. And I don't know about you guys, but two inches doesn't really sound like that much. So I'm not super concerned about him. I feel like, I mean, he's at 14 on my board. And and I think that if you pick him, you know, like a contending team could pick him up, which, yeah, that would be perfectly fine to me, you know? It's funny because when you look at him play, do you see a little bit of a tenacity in his game too, even just in the way he skates? He's yeah. got a bit of a motor to him. So I think about it, I think, so you got oh, old- yeah. You got Owen Power at 6'6". You got Logan Stankoven at 5'8". But if I sent those two into the corner, I don't think it would end up the way a lot of people would perceive it. No, 100%. And I've seen Owen Power get beat defensively by people who he absolutely should just be destroying. And, you know, he's... Logan Stankoven, I think, would just drive wide on him and just leave him behind. You know, uh, maybe Owen Power's reach being 8, 9, 10 inches taller might get the stick on Stankoven on the puck. It might get the it might get a stick on the puck, but that's not a guarantee of someone like Stankoven just keeping his feet moving, you know, getting his knee on Owen Power's stick and just booting it out of the way and just blowing right by him with the speed that he's got. I I've seen that happen to Owen Power with players in college and I feel like Stankoven could do the same thing. I don't know. I it's honestly a bunch of situations where I watch Stankoven play and I go, I don't know how this guy's not in the top top range of the draft, but uh, here we are. All right. I think we've, we've saved him uh, long enough. The one guy has been talked about a ton. I'm a, I'm a goalie lover. So I've, I'm, I'm infatuated by this guy, but Jesper Waltstad. And I actually did have a question from, uh, I asked a question on Instagram there and I did get a question from, um, one of my buddies actually, who is, a huge Ottawa Senators fan. He asked this. 
Um, thoughts on Jesper Waldstad and his ceiling? Real creative, David. Is there a current NHL goalie that he is comparable to? And do you believe if he is available at 10, the Sens take a waiver on him, even with their plethora of goalie prospects? I mean, I won't touch goaltending projections in the NHL. I don't I don't know enough about current NHL goaltenders to really write home about any of them or give you a comparison. But when I watch Wallstead, I mean maybe you will know an option better than me, but I I love watching him play cuz he just feels so efficient and technical in the in the in the net. He doesn't really waste motion. He stays calm. He he stays square up to the puck. He doesn't collapse in when when the puck's in tight on him. Um, I, I mean, I've spoken to more than enough Swedes this year that say all that, that he is the best goaltender that Sweden has ever put out at his age. And that includes guys like Lundqvist, who, you know, wasn't super heralded when he was drafted, but it's still Henrik Lundqvist. But most other Swedish goaltenders, they're saying, yeah, you know, this guy blows them all out of the water. And the thing I tell people about Wallstead is like, look, nine times out of 10, I will be with you on the don't draft goalies in the first round thing. I will 100% be with you. But most goalies aren't Jesper Volstead. And, you know, European coaches find all kinds of reasons not to play young players, let alone as much as Volstead played. And he was playing in the SHL as a draft eligible. And I think he's the only SHL goaltender for a draft eligible to ever play 20 or more games, like ever, in the history of the league. And I think only four of them have played 10 or more games in a draft year. And the last time it happened was, I think, 1999. So with Jesper Volstead, you have a player who is literally in completely uncharted waters but playing professional hockey in Sweden and looked pretty good doing it. I thought he looked really good at the world juniors and thought he should have been their starting goaltender. Um, and I, I mean, look, and the last thing I'll say about him is at some point in the draft, you hit a point where yes, drafting a goaltender is risky, but what you take instead of drafting the goaltender where there's risk, what do you end up with? A second line winger, a, a second pair defenseman, a second line center, maybe. Um, if that's your choice, you know, take the risk on a potential number one goalie who could play for your team for 10 years or change gears and go for a winger or a defenseman and and hope that it works out with them too because uh, it's not a guarantee that a 10th overall pick is going to work out. Um, to me at that, and I think to me at that point, that point happens pretty quick this year. I have him at three. I think if he's a guy that you can get between six to ten, I think it's perfectly legitimate to to go for it, especially if he interviews well and you, you vibe with him. Um, but if he's a guy that slips out of the top ten towards the sort of bubble teams, uh, yeah, I, I, I feel like that's going to be a very interesting one. And I remember when this happened to Andre Vasilevsky when he was draft eligible, and now now look at him. So to add on to that, I, I really love your analysis of him there. He does look very like efficient and very put together, especially on his lateral movements. You don't see many holes there, and especially mm-hmm. him being a huge guy. One other point that I had watching, not too, uh, not, obviously not as much as you, but he doesn't quite fall back into his net when the puck comes like closer to him in, in those yep. high danger areas. Yep. So, uh, I mean, if I, yep. I mean, I don't, I'm not. The expert on this draft, so I, I wouldn't be able to touch that one. But I, I really like your answer on that. Um, I was just wondering. Uh, so, like, how does uh, Wallstead compare to like other other goalies we've seen draft relatively higher in the past couple of drafts, like the like Knight and Askarov? And like, is this more of like a a weaker draft kind of pushing him up the list, or or is this more of like he is like really really like this good? We like scouts should be banging the table for him that's part of it. I think, I think this year not having, you know, like if there was three or four guys who were legitimately potential franchise altering pieces, you know, like maybe next year's draft, I wouldn't have Jesper Volstead at at three. I think that inherently the risk with a goaltender is a little bit higher, but I think you do also. um, Yeah. I I think there is a bit of that. Um, Sorry, I just lost my train of thought there. No, just um, comparing him to like Knight and Askarov recent years. Yeah, as well. yeah, yeah. Okay, so with with Yaroslav Askarov, I did have him ranked pretty high, and I do get asked sometimes about where I'd put Wallstead relative to him, and I think I'd have him higher. Um, I think Askarov is a riskier goaltender. I think that if things work out, he's going to be sort of the modern day equivalent of like a Dominic Hasek, where you're sitting there going, I don't know how this guy is stopping so many pucks, and 
I, I don't understand how, but he's doing it. And we saw a bit of that at the World Juniors and how that can be a, both a good and a bad thing. Whereas with Wallstead, I think you get more of that, you know, and I think Spencer Knight was more up Wallstead's alley, but with Spencer Knight, he was playing junior hockey. He was playing on a phenomenal team and I just was spooked and I did not really know what to do with him. Um, and so, but with Wallstead, I mean, he's playing at a higher level. He's playing at a higher pace level. It's professional hockey. It's the SHL and he performed pretty well. So I like Wallstead the most out of the three of them. And, but again, usually I'm not team goalie. And I think, I think, I think next year there won't, there won't be a goalie in my first round. I don't think, um, I've got Casa in my first round this year towards the end of the first round, but that's only really because he checks a lot of boxes where I'm less concerned about it. But I mean, I've seen people putting him in the top 15 and I'm going, okay, I'm not doing that, but late first round. Sure. Uh, but with Wallstead, yeah, I, th- I think he's more, I'm more confident about him than Knight, but I think that with him, I know I've been watching goalies a lot more since Spencer Knight, and I think with Wallstead, he's a he's more of a sure bet than an Askarov, but they're kind of two sides of the same coin, I suppose. Interesting, interesting. Anyways, I, 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 I would love it to see uh, him get picked up by Eiserman um, and the Red Wings. I think that'd be interesting, just... I know he drafted Vasilevsky. I think I've always loved Eisman. I think he's a great uh, GM, always good at drafting. Um, but I think uh, I think that wraps up everything about the uh, the draft pertaining to the draft as a whole. Well, I did have one. Well, you have uh, one more, Joe. One guy, Ayrton Martino, was one guy that caught, really caught my eye. Just wanted to get your two cents yeah. on him. Oh boy, did he ever! Uh, I I like him a lot. Uh, you know, you you guys you guys are Leafs people. That could be a guy they get in the second round. Oh, okay. I mean, I, I, that, that is wow. Huge. Well, I mean, he's he's on average he's put he's thirty seventh on my board, or he's twenty eight on my board, but on average thirty seven, and he's ranked forty sixth in North America, um, by North by Central Scouting. And I don't know, I don't see very many lists with him in the first round, um, but I think that there's a ton of potential there. He's really raw, I think. I think he's a player that you're, you know, you're not going to get a defensive guy out of him very much outside of an open ice defender, you know, clogging passing lanes and such. But boy, oh boy, uh, the offensive game that he's got is unlike a lot. It's unlike a lot of players in this year's draft. Um, you know, he can get a jump on guys in the neutral zone and just find open space so well. He can create plays in the offensive zone with patience and skill. And, you know, he's got a really nice shot as well. Um, you know, he was involved in 47% of his team's goals when he was playing this year, which is immense, um, and rivals a guy like Cole Sillinger with Sioux Falls in the USHL. So for a guy that was a top scorer in the OJHL last year, which is not a great league, but that's still notable to then go to the OJ or to the USHL and do as well as he did, uh, the data that I have on him looks really, really good. And I'm certainly one of his cheerleaders, uh, and, if he's a guy that does slip to the end of the second round, like I, I think that it's kind of a no-brainer if that's a guy that maybe would be on Toronto's shortlist, and I think he would be. So I'm going to ask like a kind of transitioning question to the Leafs, but I'm going to frame it in this way. So who do you think will be the Shakir Muktamulin? I don't even know if I said this right, of this year's draft where he's you see him at the end of the first round, and especially you because I watched you when he got picked last year. You're like, all right, I don't know what's going on here. And who will be the Marat Kusnadinov of this draft where he goes in the second round, possibly even in Leafs range where we look back and say, wow, how did this guy fall? Well, I got the feeling that's going to be Stankoven. Uh, I, just, I just can't – maybe he goes at the tail end of the first round. Um you know, it, the thing about Marat was that, you know, I was kind of the only person that had him that high. Um, there might have been like one or two other people, but I I had a, I didn't really think he was going to go in the first round. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised to see a Logan Stankoven slip out of the first round, but I still think that just by the fact that he was at the under-18s and played so well and, you know, played at the uh, WHL this season and did really well in the six games he played, that maybe there's a team that is, you know, they have their marbles together and they're going to pick him. Um, but a guy, I mean, a guy that's completely off the board that I think could go first round. I mean, Prokhor Poltopov would be an interesting one, but the thing about him versus Shakir Mukamadulin is that Mukamadulin was a guy that I, no matter which way I sliced it, I couldn't see going in the first round. There's the, the guy that I see ranked really high that I do not have ranked really high is Zach Balduk. Um, I, I, he's a Quebec guy, so I get the feeling that he's going to go in the first round. 
I do not know how that's I've tracked a bunch of games of him. Um, and in every single one, I just, it's, it's, I don't understand. I mean, he's ranked in my like third round. I just don't know what's bringing so many people to, to his, to his side of the boat, so to speak. I don't, I don't know. I, I wish I could tell you. Um, but he's a guy who just does not play the brand of hockey that I think is very projectable, nor is it the type of hockey that I think I would want on my team. Um, but I think he's going to go in the first round anyway. And I think he'll become some kind of NHL player, like an energy guy, maybe, but I have a lot of questions about him and he can be very frustrating to watch for me, but the guys that might jump up, I mean, I, I'm really hoping that someone out there is smart enough to take a Vili Koivinen in the first round, uh, with, uh, carpet in Finland. I mean, I think it's extremely unlikely, but it would be really nice if they did. I think he's just really, really smart, really nice blank slate to work with. Um, really good all around game at both ends of the ice scored a ton of points in the Finnish junior league this year. Um, just a guy who earns everything he gets. And I think that he's worth a pick in the first round. So we'll go with bull Duke as the guy that'll probably go first round that I don't think should. And, uh, one of Stankoven, I guess Stankoven could slip, but I'm hoping that a guy like Billy Koivinen gets picked higher than people think he could. So what are the chances we could see a player like Stankoven or Martino actually be there for the Leafs? Do you think that's really feasible? I know you mentioned Martino, but you think Stankoven could fall that far? And you think there's another player we should be like keeping our eye on as a faller for, in terms of the Leafs range? Or even on top of that, other players you think that would be good in that range for the Toronto Maple Leafs? Well, let me put it to you this way, because you, you guys brought up before we started recording the whole team scouting idea that I have. Um and so I have on my big tracking list here, I have a short list of names that I would legitimately consider that I think will be available at their picks. So I've got 15 names in front of me. I usually do five per pick. Um, and I, I mean, last year, Toronto got Vili, or uh, they got Topi Dimola and Ronnie Hirvonen at the tail end of the second and the beginning of the third round. So they're going to have another pick around where they took Ronnie Hirvonen. But well, we did have to those lose guys out on Tyler Clevin. Sorry? Sorry we did interrupt, but we did have to lose out on Tyler Clevin, unfortunately, to get those two. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> uh, condolences. Um, but, but uh, you know, so, but, but Hirvonen and Nimala were both in my first round. And they were at the very tail end of it, but they were still in my first round. So I looked at the guys that I have at the late end of my first round that I don't think a lot of people do have at the late end of their first round and go, okay, these are the guys where if I pick five, one of them will be available at least, and I get to pick whoever I want. So the five names I have at 57 are in order of preference, I would say. Vili Koivinen, Ayrton Martino, Dylan Duke, Olin Zellweger, and uh, Alexi Hamasalmi. And you honestly could flip a coin between Dylan Duke and, Alex, or, uh, and, and Olin Zellweger to me, um, and it might depend on how much I've had to drink the night before or how much coffee I've had that day. I don't know. It, it, they're, it, they're very, very close to me. Um, but definitely, if it's the late second round, I don't... I mean, Vili Koivinen sounds like a guy who is not only likely to be there, but I could see the Toronto Maple Leafs being interested in him, uh, especially with drafting Topi Nimala from the same program last year. Um, Ayrton Martino, he's a Toronto kid. I'm, I'm guaranteeing you that they they have talked to him, I would think. Um, I think they that Toronto is one of those teams where they think being from Toronto does add something. Not a whole lot, but it is something. Uh, Dylan Duke, I think, is just a great option for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like, just a rambunctious, you know, hard worker all across the ice. He drives insane shot metrics in high-danger areas, and he's a real pain in the ass for the opponent to deal with. Uh, even though he's only like five foot nine, but I think he's a a real interesting player that just earns everything he gets, and I I like him a lot. Olin Zellweger, I think smart teams will have picked him before this point. I I really like him. Uh, I thought he had a great under eighteen. Um, he should be a first round pick, I think, but I would not be surprised because he's five foot nine and not an elite skater uh, in certain areas that he would slip and just because he's five foot nine. I mean, I had Adam Fox in my first round and he was known to be undersized and not the best skater. And uh, he turned out just fine. And he went in the third round and he, you know, so it's entirely possible that a guy like Zellweger could just slip all the way to that point. And the same thing could go for Hamasalmi. I, I just really like how he skates. He's really raw, but I think there's a lot of offense to his game that is yet to come out. Uh, it came out a bit of the world under 18s and he had a great tournament there. Um, but any of those five, I would be more than happy to add 
and I think they could be there at the end of the second round. I love it. Hopefully Martino um, goes to Clarkson and boosts up uh, one of your former, seemed like my guys, uh, uh, Nick Campoli. I don't know if you remember him. Uh, I just mentioned yeah. him because I, <laughs> I used to skate. I, I used to skate with him. I saw the immense potential. He had a hell of a shot. Um, but hopefully, you know, fingers crossed for the kid. Wishing all the best to him. Yeah, uh, always, always. Yeah. Um, and I, I know you just got into the, like the Leafs options, like closer, like in the second round and closer to their picks in the their pick in the second round. But they also have two more picks in this draft. I think it's five and six in round five and six. I don't know exactly the exact numbers, but who are you kind of uh, looking at in those rounds? I know it's like that late. It's usually like throwing darts at a board, but who would be your, like, who would be your dart? I guess. Who, who would you be throwing darts at? Well, well, this is to me where it gets really fun. I mean, I, I think there's in this year's draft, I think there's going to be some really interesting names that you can pick up later than they should go. Um, my short list for 153 right now I mean, I'm being optimistic with this one, but Brent Johnson is on there. I don't think he'll be available at 153, but I don't know. I can't help myself. I'm just being optimistic. Uh, Sean Chagall, the Calgary Hitman, is in there too. Um, I think he's one of the more undervalued guys this year. I have him at 40 on my list, and he's got just a great set of hands and a great shot, and he and he's quick, and he's you know 200 foot work rate, and there's a lot to like about his game. And I, he he caught fire on the back back half of the WHL year this year, so. I, I think there's a lot of runway to work with with him. I've also got Yuri Tiachek, Jake Martin, and Cole Huckins there. Three guys that I just really like. I think Tiachek, you know, being a five foot nine defenseman, obviously there's question marks, but I love his footwork. I love how hard he works. I love the potential of his game offensively. He's one of the better defensive players I tracked actually this year, which is kind of funny, especially because he played against men. Uh, Jake Martin, another one of these really solid defense first guys. I don't, I don't think there's a huge ceiling for a guy like Jake Martin, but I do really like what I see out of him and, and the data that I tracked on him was mixed, but but I think there's good potential there, especially if he's a fifth round pick. Uh, and Cole Huckins, I mean, I, I would be surprised if he was available this late, but I mean, he's a big kid from out in uh, the Quebec League and but but he's 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 got a good set of feet under him for a six foot three guy. He's rangy, he can play center, he can play wing, play, he can make a play. He was almost a point per game this year. Um, if he's a guy that you can add later on, I mean, I like him more than his line mate, Riley Kidney. I think there's something more projectable there. You know, if he's a guy who can also get his hands a, a bit dirtier, a little bit more often and use that frame to his advantage and, you know, keep working on his skating and such, I think there's a, a an interesting, maybe third or fourth line guy there that, that you could get with a fifth round pick and he would belong in that kind of a role. And then like the last pick of the draft for, for Toronto, uh, we'll see. I mean, this is where you kind of throw your favorite dart at the dartboard and, I mean, I have a few that I would consider here. The first is Lucas Gustafson, who I've been trying to spread the word about for a little while now, uh, a Chicago Steel defenseman who played most of his season in prep school this year, but I think there's a ton of potential there with his game. Dimitri Kuzman, we all saw him score the lacrosse goal at the under-18s, and I think he's a legitimately talented, if undersized defenseman, that you you could probably get really late this year unless teams are you know, just taking a flyer on him early because of his play at the under 18. But I, I mean, he's a five foot eight defenseman, so I wouldn't count on it. Marcus Almquist is another guy. He's another tiny player, but I mean, <laughs> I like him a lot. He's five foot eight or something and a great shot on him. Uh, over a point per game in the Swedish junior league this year, one of the youngest players in the draft um, went to Den went to Denmark and played for his hometown team, which wasn't, they weren't great and he wasn't great, but I feel like there's a lot of potential with this game. He can skate. He can shoot. I mean, he scored six goals in five games for Dan Denmark's under-18 team when he was 15 years old. So he's got a history, and I think there's something there. Or I'd look at two. the two last names I'll just cover. is just Kali Yervasti. He's a defenseman that I've always been interested in. Um, really good defensive defenseman with a bit of that offensive flair to him that didn't come out a ton, but enough for me to be interested. And Kali Vaisenin, because he's just big, he's skilled, he's, he can smash... Um, and I think that with your sixth round pick, getting a big dude who can smash and skate and, you know, move the puck a little bit, you could do a lot worse. And I think, I think Vicenin is an interesting pickup if he, if he's available late, which I think he could be. I mean, where else are you going to get this information? Oh my God. Um, I do have to ask about one guy and to preface it, I'm in a fantasy hockey pool with his brother and I did get asked about his other brother who got drafted the year before and that being Jack Beck um, and I didn't know anything about Noah Beck so 
I felt, uh, you know, felt stupid there. But uh, do you have, what do you have to say about Jack back uh, out of the Ottawa 67s there? <laughs> well, I'm going to just come right out and say it. You kind of stumped me. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, he didn't play. He didn't play this year, nope. uh, so that's a bit of an issue. Um, I honestly, I honestly can't give you anything. Uh, he is a name that I have not examined previous. <laughs> I don't. I, I watch a lot of hockey, but I don't watch everybody. <laughs> Another COVID casualty. I mean, we'll both take a look up at him. And, uh, <laughs> yes, <laughs> we'll give a status report. Yeah, I, I think that. Yep. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's it for our uh, questions regarding the Leafs portion of the draft. We just want to ask you. One more question. Last week uh, on on the podcast, we got into a bit of a heated debate, um, and it obviously has to do with the Leafs. What else is new? Um, and so, how, how can I preface? I, I feel like I'm going to give a biased interpretation. Josh, go ahead. No, with the, the question, question is: outside of obviously, let's take Marner and Matthews out of it. Let's go. Let's even go 2016 onwards. What do you think about the Leafs' ability to draft and develop their prospects so far? AK, how have they treated the guys that they've picked? so far in terms of other teams or in like in relative to the other teams in the league? I think they're doing fine. I mean, I loved their draft last year in 2020. I think they made the right choices with pretty much all of them. I mean, it's obviously none of them are NHL ready. Um, Rodion Amirov needed to go back to the KHL. There was obviously stuff he needed to work on. Ronnie Hirvin and Topi Nimala both played in the Liga this year, and I thought that was another necessary step. Um, I thought VT Mietnin had a great freshman year. Um, Dmitry Evchinikov, I thought, I mean, he was dominant in the MHL, and I think he looked better in the KHL than what I remember the previous year. Um, across the board, I mean, you know, they drafted some guys in the seventh round, I'd say, that I wasn't super high on, but whatever, it's the seventh round. Um, but in general, you know, I think they bring their guys along right. I mean, I don't know why everyone is so quick to take Timothy Liljegren, Liljegren and toss him in the trash. I don't get it. Um, you know, he's he's he. I, I think that there's a fascinating psychological conundrum where people get, you know, they see that he's been an AHL player for one, two, three, four seasons now, and they're going, well, why isn't he an NHL player? It's like, well, but if he was a Canadian, he would have been in the OHL for two more years, and this would be now his third year developing in the minors if he doesn't make the NHL team, which for a defenseman. And it's 17th overall, like is not the end of the world. And I think people were expecting Timothy Liljegren to be that top five guy that they just got at 17th overall. Um, when at the draft, when at time of the draft, it was pretty clear that, you know, Mono took a lot out of him. And I think he's kind of been rethinking his game ever since. Um, and, and Toronto's been kind of reprogramming him a little bit. But I will also say that one thing that I think was also made kind of abundantly clear watching the Leafs this year is, you know, you look at their defensemen and they don't really have a skilled, pure, offensive, elite defenseman. I mean, Morgan Riley is a very good offensive defenseman, but I mean someone who is, you know, you watch him quarterback a power play and he doesn't really strike me as much of a threat outside of a bumper option going around the back. And with Liljegren, that was kind of his brand was just high skill, high octane offensive hockey. And that's been kind of removed. And We'll see how it works for him. I found him to be very good in the AHL whenever I've seen him. But the rest of it, I mean, ever since 2018, I think overall their drafts have do have gone very well. Um, I like Semyon Durogachinsev. I thought Mac Hollowell was an interesting pickup at the, in the fourth round. Swinging on a Sean Dursey partly got you Jake Muzzin. Um, you know, obviously you can nitpick every pick and question certain ones. I like Philip Crawl, for example. I, I, I think that's a reasonable pickup in the fifth round. 2019, I mean, in terms of developing these guys, they're not rushing guys through college, for example. They're not, you know, rushing guys and skipping European professional hockey. Um, it's still very early, but judging by who they've drafted, especially since 2018, I think they've been doing a pretty good job, and I don't really see the rush uh, and I don't think any of these guys are likely to be NHL players anytime within the next 365 days, except maybe Nick Robertson and maybe at the end of next year, Rodion Amirov. But beyond that, no, no sense rushing anyone. It's good to just be patient more often than not. Yep. Exactly. Josh, be patient. Um, <laughs> I had a question in my head and it went away. I do that about once an episode. Uh, Jason, do you have anything else? <laughs> uh, no, I just feel very like, uh, 
I, I just feel very good that we yeah that vindicated. Yeah, that's what I was I was about to say I wasn't sure if it was the right word, but <laughs> I, I'm glad that we're on the same team here, uh, Will, because uh, I was the one arguing pro leaf as I like it's to just, do. Often. It's just frustrating to have those two guys on the last year of their entry level deal being Lilligren and Sandine and not really having that much to show for on the NHL. Yeah, well, I that's feel like all. though with defensemen developing them at some point, they have to be thrown into the fire, and they're probably going to fail and look like garbage. But then. The next thing you know, it they won't look like garbage. I don't know, and yep. they just haven't. Done it's it. it's a cheap it's a cheap it's a cheap resign too. Like it, they're restricted free agents. It's cheap to keep them, um, and it's not the end of the world. Uh, obviously, you know. I mean, obviously, I would love to see Rasmus Sandin play every night, and I would love to see Timothy Lilligren play. I would love to see them get an actual look. But I also understand that at least this season, the Toronto Maple Leafs weren't thinking about it from the angle of, well, we're going to test our young guys now. No, I think I think their goal was compete and be one of the best teams in the league rather than tinkering around a little bit and then maybe next season guys like Sandine and Lilligren can play. But, I mean, things didn't quite go according to plan. And uh, I, But I get the feeling that those guys are going to be really, really in the hunt for, a, for an NHL job. I agree, I agree. I, uh, the question came back. It was regarding uh, Pavel Gogolev. I'm not sure. He, he played a little bit with the Marlies this year. He was on an AHL contract. Do you think that uh, that's a guy that we see enter the Leafs' pipeline soon in terms of an entry-level contract? Uh, I mean, I've seen him play. Um, I, I've seen him play for a few years now. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think that there is going to be a, an extremely high end off like NHL player there. Like he can really shoot the puck and he's got some really good skill, but I've always come away as that's basically what he is, you know, and you can, you can have those guys for sure. And, and you can find success there, but you know, I, I think the NHL game is a bit different. And I think that there's a lot, like if you're a catch and release guy, the AHL, you can kind of get away with that. Like if that's predominantly what your game is, whereas in the NHL, especially with regards to playing defense. Like, I don't think in the NHL you can get away without playing defense in some, in some way. And uh, I, th- I think Gogolev is an example of a guy who, you know, he's had a promising start to his career for sure. Like, it's not like he's been bad with the Marlies. Um, but I just, I'm not, my, I, I set my bar pretty low with guys like Gogolev and, and just say, you know what, let's see what happens. You know, he's been impressive enough. I think he just signed an extension, or no, he hasn't yet, but I don't know. Maybe he'll be back with the Marlies for more and more games next season. Um, it's not impossible. You know, you could you could definitely sign worse players to an entry-level deal, I think, than, than Pavel Gogolev, but um, we'll see. I, I, I think that as a catch-and-release guy, he's got a lot of talent. I think that might just be a really good AHL player, but if he gets signed, then I, I totally understand why. And you never know where he can go from here. Uh, he's still only 21. You know, he's still maybe got a couple of more years of development. So we'll see. That's a great point. And like, a, uh, it was, there was a scout before the draft that year, because I was interning with the Bulldogs. So that's how I got that conversation. But I mean, a 30 goal goal scorer didn't get drafted in Pavel Gogolev there. And you look at why, and he said, well, if he's not scoring goals, what the hell does he do? Right. And that speaks yeah. to exactly what you were saying, catch and release outside of that. He's got some work. And I mean, I find him to look kind of hilarious on the ice. He looks like a box. I'm not sure where he got his shoulder pads from, but <laughs> yeah. it makes it look like he has no neck. So I, I always notice him out there. And his skating stride is very awkward. So when I first saw him the yes. first two games, he was doing nothing. He pissed me off. I'm like, what is this awkward, boxy looking dude out there doing? And then he kept just scoring. And I was like, oh, okay. Well, yeah. That's what he's doing. Yep. Uh, I'm glad I brought up a guy that, you know, we both actually knew about there. Um, because, I mean, when it comes to the OHL, you know as best as anyone else. Some, If you're not playing, you're not playing. There's a fifth yeah, line out no. there. Yeah. And I, I think that's it from us here. Um, Will, I, I just want to say thank, thank you for coming on. Um, just to the listeners out there, Will does a live stream every draft. And I highly suggest you guys mute your TVs and have that have him on because it's like and like this is truly coming from the heart. I enjoy the draft so much more when I do that. And Will, I'm going to give the floor to you right now if you want to give Hold any plugs. mute your TVs except for when Sam Cosentino speaks. He is a friend of mine, and we're going to pump his tires. Oh yeah, sorry, sorry. I don't mean to. I don't mean to be rude, but I, I drew. I thoroughly enjoy your. Uh, um, I, I forget who it was last year. Someone got picked, and uh, I think it was Craig Button on. He's just talking about how he's never seen the guy play, and you were just. 
you kept talking. You, you were talking about him, and and, and I think that's important because I think you really do your stuff, and we and uh, at least we here recognize that, and, and I think all the viewers should go and, and all the listeners should go and and uh, take a look at your channel, take a look at your socials. So, do you want to plug uh, your socials right now, just so they can know where to go? And yeah, of course. I mean, first of all, I'm flattered. Thank you very much. Uh, I, I'm I'm glad that I can provide entertainment on draft day. Uh, and I get to watch the drop down mute by default anyway, so uh, there's that. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, you can follow me on Twitter and YouTube. That's the where, where I'm most active, uh, Twitter and YouTube, at Scouching. Um, the, there's going to be, uh, we're coming up on the draft week, so there's going to be live streams on at least Wednesday and Friday morning. And then we live stream during the entire uh, NHL draft, so about half an hour before both days, I think 6.30 uh, in the evening Friday. 10:30 in the morning the next morning uh we'll be doing some some live streams we're going to raise money as well for the downey wenjack fund uh, which is a great charity here in canada um and uh yeah beyond that i'm also a contributor at mckean's uh where you can get written reports for all the videos i make uh, if you're a subscriber on that website or a patron of the project which you can also access uh, you could either sign up on patreon.com scouching or just click join to join the youtube membership program on any of my videos Sounds good. Sounds good. And just for the listeners, it's we're, we're going to have it in the description, but it's scouching like couch, just with an S in front of it. <laughs> yes. Scouting uh, from the couch since yeah. 2016. Thank you so much for coming That's on. Me. And, uh, you know, fingers crossed that the second round doesn't take four years again. <laughs> oh, God. It is gonna. It's gonna. I know it is. <laughs> but this time I'll be sitting down. This time I'm sitting down. Last Last year I was standing the whole time, and that was miserable. So we're going to sit. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Sounds love like it. a plan. Thanks, right. so, much. Thanks, Thanks so much. Thank you. Yeah. No problem. Thanks.